0: uh hello audio listener i just want to let you know that uh you may want to turn up your volume i uh messed up on the recording here and while you still can hear our guest uh dean mosley aka Monsieur z uh my audio is actually fairly quiet so you may want to turn it up depending on your situation i did my best to bring up my audio without uh you know absolutely wrecking everything uh sorry for the inconvenience but i hope you can enjoy the episode Today on Life, Liberty, and Anything Else, Dean Monsley of the YouTube channel Monsieur Z joins us to discuss politics, alternate history, philosophy, and religion, as well as some of the controversy surrounding his YouTube channel. I hope you guys like Long Form Conversation, because this one gets pretty deep. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Life, Liberty, and everything else. Uh, I'm your host, Jonathan Roberts, and uh, I know it's been a a long while. I've had some issues with my own scheduling getting this recorded, and so, uh, but we're back, and today we've got a pretty special guest. We're joined by uh, Dean Mosley, a.k.a. Mr. Z of uh, uh, the Mr. Uh, Mr. Z YouTube channel. And, uh, Dean, we're glad to have you on the show here today.
1: Well, thank you for having me. All
0: right. Well, uh, so you, you run a, a YouTube channel, uh, Monsieur Z, I think that's technically how you would pronounce it, but, uh, so. Monsieur Z. Monsieur? Okay. I was thinking like Monsieur. Well,
1: as, you know, it's, it's French. It's Monsieur Z, but right. everyone always says Monsieur or Monsieur. <laughs> right. Something to that tune. Mr. Z is a lot easier. Yeah. So uh, why don't you just kinda tell
0: us a little bit like what your channel does, uh, what what do you what do you do on your channel, just a little general overview.
1: Well the thing most people are probably familiar with is alternate history. When I first went into the to making the channel, I was going with a few ideas. It was really just a hobby and I went I juggled a few different ideas, but alternate history is really what took off. I actually did a video pertaining to Man in the High Castle And I actually got reached out to by Amazon. They sent me a little bit of a gift um, and that was sort of my way of feeling, hey, you know, this is something I can really work with. And I really like the idea too, because it's history. You know, there's the whole storytelling aspect of it. And when I was starting off, I really just wanted to, like, make sort of fanciful stuff. Like, oh, you know, what if uh, you know, what if Germany made it to the moon, and then there's a a war between the Soviet Union, the US, and the moon Nazis. It's like, (laughs) you know, silly silly stuff. Right. Uh, But as I progressed, and as I was learning more and more about history, I'm like, you know what? I think I can do quite a bit, because, you know, I was looking at my contemporaries at the time, and how they were putting videos together, and you know, no offense to them whatsoever, but it's like, it is very um, standard fare history. It's pretty you know standard history as far as it is when it came to how i like to research things i'm very very in depth with what i do i'll research a subject and the surrounding subjects and the individual figures and their uh, extended lives extensively um so i felt like i think i can do a little bit more for this genre than is out there Right. And that was sort of like the, I guess what you could say, the Mr. Z renaissance when I started remaking some of my older videos, but with more context, more depth, and really delivering that um, while still providing the story as well. It's like now we have greater detail, but we're not neglecting the story either. Um, right.
0: Yeah, I remember wa- comparing one of your new videos to your old videos. I think it was the World War One stalemate video. Yeah. And uh, I think that's the one where... I was thinking of, but, like, in the original one, like, the U.S. just invades all of South America or something. It's like, <laughs> For no reason. No reason. <laughs> just, just doing it.
1: Uh, yeah, that was, uh, that's, that's a common thing, too. It's just like, okay, in this hypothetical, how can we make it interesting? Okay, let's have the U.S. invade this region. Nothing else is going on there. But, yeah. um, you know, now we're in the situation where it's like, okay, we're moving from the fanciful stuff to we're basing it more in A factual prediction of what might have happened right and that's
0: good uh i I like your videos because uh you know if you look at somebody like alternate history hub they're all they're all very general it doesn't seem like they get in the nitty-gritty detail and and point out you know uh, like certain things uh but i guess probably in the defense of well this isn't meant to be uh, you know this would 100 percent actually happen and more of, this is an idea of what could happen and,
1: and, and that kind of thing. So they don't get like,
0: no, you're wrong. Eh. Right,
1: right. And that was sort of my mentality when I was starting off in that, oh, it doesn't matter if it's fanciful because it's alternate history. It can be as wacky as it can be. Right. But then, of course, the idea of history is a real thing. History happened and there were multiple different ways history could have followed. That was me saying, you know what? Let me take this in a different direction. Let's try and something. it's funny because... Yeah, right, because you have a situation where it's like, in the example you just gave, where it's like, well, it's very general, and it's a little more uh, on the fanciful side, but it's like a Goldilocks zone where it's not enough for too many people on either side to really complain about it, you know? yeah. <laughs> Whereas um, <laughs> where I was starting off, it was just like yeah, all One Direction and right. then it's Moon, like, Nazis, okay, 100%. Okay. <laughs> Moon Nazis, one hundred percent Moon Nazis. I still have fun with that sometimes. Like this, this wasn't recent. This was like a year or so ago. But what if Australia won the emu war? And this again was just done as a joke. Right. But the emus. They retaliate. They basically they feel like Germany after World War One, <laughs> and they and they're like, we need we need to remilitarize. We need to get revenge on the Australians who kicked us out of our land. And then the uh, the emus get their Lebensraum. Hitler yeah. recognizes that the emus have a Volkish character and decides to form an alliance. With them. <laughs> oh, the Greater Emu yeah. Reich. It's yeah, the Greater Emu Reich actually gets established I, <laughs> with know, the help really of Germany and Japan. <laughs> oh. uh, that oh, was just Lord. a fun one. Yeah,
0: and I, I feel like probably your um, your Scar Nicholas probably falls into the same
1: category as... So that's the interesting thing with Scar Nicholas. Um, it really started off as a meme. You yeah. know, me and my friends were talking about... Uh, we we're So the joke was, you know, the different ways you can spell czar... And then one of the names I just threw out there was Scar. And then they sent me a picture of like Tsar Nicholas with a scar over his head. I'm like, hey, that's pretty cool. So I turned that into a meme. I shared <laughs> it with my audience. And they loved it so much that I was like, okay, I guess I'll do this. You know, right, I guess I'll make so this like, a thing.
0: You know, sometimes you just, the, the crazy and the fanciful kind of works. And the idea mm-hmm. of Tsar uh, Nicholas II. Uh, surviving his assassination and going on to become a grizzled John Wick like character who
1: overthrows <laughs> the Soviet Union is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and I really like went a little bit more um, because I could have just like made the whole thing up too, but it's like I drew some inspiration from like some actual stuff. Like Trotsky actually had an armored train. Right. Czar uh, Nicholas actually had some experience in gun and sword combat. Um. And so it's just interesting and. Down to, like, the weaponry that was in the house that they were in. It had a... So, it had a palisade around it, and it had, I believe, four or five machine guns mounted at different windows. So, it's like, how can I use that in the story? Yeah. Ooh, I got an idea. So, basically, he turns the house that he was kept prisoner in into, like, a, a fortress yeah. to gun down all the Soviets around him. And, again, that was supposed to be, like, a little one-off, like, a silly thing like the Emu video, uh, but fans really responded well to it we made a sequel with uh, priest stalin and we're working on a novel right now Oh, it's a novel uh, we're working on a novel right now and we're going to be giving that out to a number of our patrons for free um but we're also just going to publish it and uh hopefully the the plan with publication is going to be that we can find a specific publication house right to put it out there but uh if we can't then we'll self-publish it no big uh no big issue there.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, the allusion to uh, what if Hitler was a painter at the end of the the Stalin video is
1: that's this is this one is probably going to be the best one. This one <laughs> we're looking at either animation or voice acting, and I'm leaning more toward voice acting because there's a lot of um, there's a lot of opportunity for the characters to speak with one another and that comes off a little stilted when you're just reading it as if it's a script so I thought voice acting would really take it to the next level or else, it's also gonna be the longest one I'm pretty sure because this isn't just gonna be something that's confined to Europe uh, Hitler's gonna go on a little bit of a, an adventure yes uh, that's gonna bring him a- around Asia and then uh, back into Russia
0: very interesting the the
1: uh, <laughs> the what if Hitler was a good guy video <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, he's he's basically Indiana Jones in this timeline. Oh my god. How that how that happens from him becoming a painter will you we'll know see. we'll see that in the story.
0: <laughs> Indiana Hitler. Alright, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs>
1: uh Indiana Hitler. What's like what's like Germany's equivalent of Indiana? That's like <laughs> uh, uh okay. Brandenburg. No. It doesn't work. It, it doesn't does have, work. have the same it's, ring.
0: Too many syllables
1: yeah yeah all
0: right so uh you got your book that you're working on but this isn't the first novel that you've actually wrote you you've, you've wrote one before you wrote i am uncle sam and mm. i read the book i enjoyed the book um but why don't you give us a, a little rundown of uh, about the book
1: so, I Am Uncle Sam is a story of an alternate America in the 1960s just about, and there is uh, there are some uh, deeper points of divergence that occur here, but the big change is that Lyndon B. Johnson isn't uh, Kennedy's vice president. Some other figure is, and this figure is made up for the story, uh, and his views are essentially that of a modern progressive, but in the 1960s. And, you know, despite the tastes of the time, uh, this figure is well-connected enough that as president, he's able to get all his policy through. Now, you have this modern situation today where the left and right is extremely polarized, and, you know, there's talks of civil war, there's civil unrest in the streets, but you take this back to 1960, which is a much more conservative age, and you have somebody who's implementing those same policies, and they just don't fly. You have a population that is unaccepting of this enough that they do resort to civil war and what you end up happening is it follows well four different characters but one of the primary characters is the leader of what eventually becomes the militia of new england and the war uh, that breaks out is still largely north and uh northern and southern war but it's not uniform you have the states of Dixie, which have seceded independently. You have Texas, which has come under the control of a militia. You have Louisiana, which seceded solely for the reason that it didn't want federal intervention in its borders to attack both uh, Dixie and Texas, because that would have just destroyed them. Right. Uh, you have Deseret, that's been taken over by a radical sect of Mormonism. And you have California, which has seceded, but is still aligned with the federal government solely because the federal government has been focusing on the southeastern front rather than the western front, and the Californians are coming under threat by these radical Mormons. So California has seceded, but it's still aligned with the federal government. And the federal government is is able to maintain its front because it is uh, largely just fighting one front. When New England ultimately secedes, this really turns the tables, and New England and Dixie form an alliance and converge on washington inevitably and the story that's sort of like uh roughly where the story really begins to develop gotcha
0: yeah i read the book and it it felt a lot like what if the u.s just lost the cold war in the 60s in a way in a way it is
1: uh we don't see too much of what's going on outside of the uh, u.s outside of north america but the soviets are growing in power however something else is that the commander of New England he is uh, sort of setting Britain up as a successor because he recognizes that if the U.S. falls into civil war, the Soviet Union is just going to take over one of the successor states in the U.S. and then eventually the whole of the U.S. will fall to communism. So he wants a buffer against that and the negotiation he makes is essentially, you know, you give us resources to fight this war against our federal government, and in exchange, we're going to give you a majority of our nuclear weapons, we're going to give you uh, trade preferences, we're going to give you a bunch of our surplus weaponry and whatnot. So, Britain is, like, geared up to become the new superpower, along with, like, Canada, Australia, uh, pretty much what's re- what remains of the British Empire at that time.
0: Right. Yeah, and... Uh... You know, in the book, you've got you got characters from all over. You've got the leader of New England, who's a main character. You've got uh, uh, a leader of the militia in Texas. You've got a uh, uh, kind of a folk hero from from Britain, and mm-hmm. a I guess a kind sort of
1: the, uh, yeah, like an everyman character, right? Sort of.
0: Yeah, and and all these characters are different. They're all very interesting. Uh, I do gotta ask though, how the name Augustus Doctor? That's such <coughs> a odd name. How did you think of something like that?
1: All the names have uh, some meaning to them. Uh, I mean, I mean, with Del Kirk, you know, quite literally, uh, Kirk is uh, an old. Scottish uh, Church, particularly, and Dell of course is sort of like the Latin for of the. His name literally means of the church. Gotcha. Uh, when it came to when it came to Augustus Doctor, I wanted to evoke ideas of this man is the founder of something new, of the fa- the founder of a new order in America, much like Augustus was the founder of a new order in Rome. Now the idea of Doctor is a little bit more. It's it's more symbolic that America is sick the America he's coming back to is this very very twisted thing and he feels this need to repair it he's also, and this is something you'll see in the very first chapter, he's begrudgingly taking on this role he doesn't want to be he doesn't want to be the warrior anymore because he, he, come, he comes back from Vietnam he feels like war just doesn't quite suit him Right. Uh, and he wants to become a farmer he wants to live a peaceful life but he can't quite do that. So you have that sort of idea of do no harm, but he doesn't have the privilege to do that. You know, he's, he's going through the motions of, I want to avoid this as much as possible, and then he's ultimately forced to say, well, the only way to so- solve this is to take an extreme measure, and uh, that's, that's really where he winds up.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I bought the book, I bought two copies when I bought it. I bought one for myself and one for my friend. And uh, when I when I gave it to my friend, he was reading it and he looks at me and he goes, "So this one character, he's got some pretty uh, fun ideas here." And I was like, "Yeah." And he goes, "This is going to be a hard one to explain when I have to write for because uh, he, he had to write a he had to write journal entries for his class." So he just—they mm. were told to write the journal entries over whatever book you're reading at the time. So he's like, "So this is a fun one that I have to explain when I'm <laughs> when I'm writing out my journal entries. Uh, you know, I guess I—I, you know, there's obvious, especially from like the the wacky Reddit crowd who loves to be your best friend all the time. <laughs> and uh, Reddit. We'll talk about Reddit later. But uh, mm-hmm. they they accuse you, I guess, of being this this book being your manifesto or you're your, like you're. <laughs> like, that's not necessarily the perspective I get. Generally, how I understand it, and this may not be as you intended, but as kind of if if the left goes as far as they're going, and if they keep going the direction they're going, then inevitably there will be a pushback. And the harder they keep going, the harder the pushback's going to be and you may not like what you get.
1: In a sense, yeah, that that's the sort of inevitability of um taking things too far. Yeah. You no, know, every action has an equal and opposite reaction, but I think that's more just an observation of the factual nature of things. Right. If you have a population with the means to retaliate and they um you give them enough reason to retaliate, they will retaliate. And that's that is um in a sense what is happening in this book because with modern right and leftist policies today you have again that polarization. Right. Back then you have more of a will, uh, to retaliate because these people a lot of these people are people who have either fought in Vietnam or fought in the world uh, the second world war. Right. So that's fresh in their minds and they're willing to, you know, put their lives down to defend what they believe in. What they believe in is also more conservative, so it's like you have a smaller threshold for what will be accepted in this uh in the story here
0: right right and you know it's, it's a very interesting book it, it creates a very interesting world it's uh it's you know eventually in the book they, they all these different nations form out of essentially the corpse of the united states uh what what really inspired these these different uh nations or commonwealths or confederacies or whatever you want to Re- referred so to him. the
1: so i think that there are some very distinct identities in the united states as far as uh, regionalism goes and the core states that break away are what i think are those most dominant identities so new england has remained largely um has remained a largely distinct region since its founding uh i don't want to get into the long history of that because i'll be talking about history <laughs> for the next 30 minutes um Just about that. So New England is distinct. The South has a distinct culture. Texas has a very distinct culture that has really come into its own uh, in the 20th century. So I thought this was a good opportunity for Texas to be its own thing separate from the South. Right. Uh, Mormonism dominating that region. Mormonism is a rapidly expanding uh, faith. It is uh, natalistic in that it puts childbearing and caring for children first. So you have children who are brought up strongly in the faith. So I thought you take that a step further and you have a radical sect of Mormonism that aggressively expands and you have a recipe for a for something quite like Islam almost where it's like it emerged and in the span of like 200 years it conquered pretty much a, most of the Middle East. right. So that's sort of the idea with the saintly order in this timeline.
0: So it's like the uh, Mormon Taliban.
1: Uh, the, actually, the way I described to some people, it's like, these are like the Mormon Wahhabis, pretty uh, much.
0: Yeah. Uh, keep going. So, uh,
1: so, there are, there's a distinct metropolitan culture in the East, and a distinct mo- a metropolitan culture in the West, and I want to represent that using the idea of uh, metropolis, which doesn't break away, but is formed post-war uh, as sort of like this vision of a new Rome, by Augustus Doctor, and in the West you have California, which has really been built up by the president of the uh, the president who succeeds uh, John F. Kennedy. This whole idea is try to, trying to build up California as this new center of the country, and that's sort of what we have in the modern day, where during different eras of American history you have a different region of the country that is dominant. During the Federalist era, that was of course New England and the North coastal culture. Uh, during the Jacksonian and Jeffersonian era that was the South. The, the South was really where the power was held yeah. uh, during the Republican era that power shifted to the Midwest this you know where the railroads are concentrated where around the Great Lakes this is where the population was really booming. Got it. and then eventually it shifted to the far west and to California to the point where California has the most electoral votes. it has the biggest population and it is the biggest state. So, in our modern day, we are dealing with this, where California is the new heart of the country, essentially. Uh, In this timeline, a president takes active measures to double down on that and say, California is the future, so we are going to pretty much expand California's uh, industrial capabilities, its technological capabilities. So, the California of this timeline, in, in the book, is not quite the California of our timeline, but... That times 10, perhaps. Silicon Valley is established earlier on. Um, to, to make a long story short, where California has ended up today in that, you know, it is at the level of... Well, actually, presently, California is like on on the decline. It's right. it's I waning would, as a part. But-
0: I would say that it, we're, we're kind of re readjusting ourselves and it seems that the balance of power is slowly moving away from california and it seems that it's moving more towards the south in places like florida and texas and tennessee and and
1: exactly i think that's pretty interesting and i'm 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 gonna make a video on that because i might get to it in the last seven ages of america video but i think that is definitely something to speculate about the new epicenter of power in the country but that's a tangent right now right um so california in this timeline isn't just naturally becoming the heart of the country, but a president takes active measures to make it more and more of a center of the country, so it has an even more distinct identity this time around. So, that is California, that's Deseret, that's Texas, that's uh, Dixie, and that's New England. Louisiana also has a distinct um, identity, but uh, it falls sort of, it's in the same situation as Texas, where that could be categorized as part of the southern identity, but it's more of a gulf kind of identity. Yeah, it's more of kind of...
0: Flavor of Southern identity, like
1: exactly, I, I've yeah. Been to
0: Louisiana, and I can tell you, it's it is different.
1: Mm-hmm. And the whole thing is uh, the motivation for Lu- uh, Louisiana to secede in the book isn't so much a matter of our culture is different; we want to be independent. It's that well, the two co- the two states next to us have seceded, so the federal government's probably going to come here. They're going to set up military bases, and they're going to fight a war on our borders. We don't want that. So we're going to be, we're neutral. Don't involve us in this situation. Um, So that's what happens there. And the remaining commonwealths are sort of, they're artificial. So they don't have enough of a population behind them that feels the need to secede. They do have their own militia movements and they do have independence movements, but they're not major. They come into existence because post-war, all what's left of the federal territory is carved up. Uh, by Dixie, and by uh, New England.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and... and I ju- Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... Uh, I mean, do you have a, a
1: comment, a question, or yeah, something? Yeah, I just...
0: My mind went completely blank there for a second. Draw. But, <laughs> no worries. Uh, yeah, no, they're all very... They're very different. They're very distinct... Uh, the the metro you, you, there's Metro Ford and uh, Cascadia and uh wow blanking sorry there's also oh, there's okay.
1: Heartland Superior uh
0: right and those those two specifically are for me are always less notable like so why, Heartland is actually very
1: very important uh right. we're actually. Me and my, uh, my butt, you do you remember the group education?
0: Yeah, I do remember uh, the group education.
1: So uh, Simon, who works, who's behind the channel, him and I are working on a bit of a project. They don't want to say too much about it, but it is set in Heartland, and it's going to focus on some of the politics of the Western states. Right. Uh, so look forward to that. That's going to be a lot of fun. I
0: am More
1: than that, there is a sequel, a direct sequel to How I Am Uncle Sam in the Works as well.
0: All right. Yeah. When when I say it was made, uh, not they they felt minor. Uh, I Heartland's like the the one of the capital Commonwealth, if I'm remember correctly. It,
1: it houses the capital of the uh, Commonwealth uh, specifically. Right. So of course you know each of the Commonwealths have their own capitals, but this is sort of like the Brussels, pretty much of the of the European Union equivalent. Gotcha. Uh,
0: I just meant that when I think of the other Commonwealths, it uh, it doesn't. Heartland doesn't necessarily stick out in my mind. Um, I guess it's because that general region doesn't ever really stick out in my mind. Uh, <laughs> but there is Superior. And I gotta ask, uh, what is what 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 is the deal with Superior? Why is that not like just part of a different? Like Cascadia or
1: Ford or something yeah. like that. It's really as a buffer between the the. So Cascadia, on its own, is sort of very, very decentralized. You don't really have a lot of order there. So it was felt that you need a buffer to prevent just all this, for lack of a better word, chaos from spilling over into the Great Lakes region. And Superior (laughs) had just enough of a distinct identity in that it had a large concentration of Scandinavian uh, people that it is far colder than other parts of the... um, of the Great Lake states. And it is specifically specializes in, I believe, I, I made a list of this. It specializes in production of medical equipment and mining. if I recall? Interesting. Oh, that's another, so that's another thing. Each of the Commonwealths, of course, specialize in something. So agriculture is obviously the big thing that uh, Heartland specializes in. But they also specialize in transportation. They are the foremost transportation hub of the entire um, confederation. They have rail lines expanding into every single commonwealth. They have uh, massive highway and roadway systems. They have the most airports. Uh, it's there, there's a lot. <laughs> there was a lot of thought put into how these um, commonwealths interact with one another. And one reason that a lot of commonwealths actually fear Dixie is that Dixie is actually extremely well-rounded. They have just about... They they are very, very self-sufficient in that they don't need any of the other commonwealths to survive. Right. You have um, Deseret. You know, Deseret is very effective and very productive in what it does, and it's very, very wealthy because they have a lot of uh, precious mineral mines. But they lack sustainable agriculture and they lack water resources that's actually a big rivalry they have with california is over uh the hoover dam uh and the water and the and water um uh, reservoirs
0: right it, it reminds me kind of of the uh, caesar's legion and the new california republican in, in fallout they yeah we get
1: I, we get that quite a lot as far as like comparisons, because there is a rivalry between Deseret and California, but it's not on the same basis as, like, Caesars Legion and the New California Republic. But I like to, like, if somebody ever asks me to break it down, like, oh, what's the relationship between these two? I say, hey, it's basically like, if you ever played Fallout New Vegas? Oh, yeah, it's, it's like Caesars Legion going up against the NCR. It's
0: like that, but they're Mormon this time.
1: But they're Mormon, yeah.
0: Yes, um so I guess I you kind of already answered this question but I was gonna ask do we have any more plans for the any more stories from the the new America as it's called uh, which is a very funny reference to New Africa and uh, <clears throat> but you've you've pretty much already answered those questions uh, so we did touch on this I do want to I want to touch on this just a little bit and that is uh, the Reddit wars the reddit controversy uh because they're convinced that you're some kind of uber crazy white supremacist uh which i haven't seen any evidence for and i've known you for a little bit i
1: i just want to say i blame tiger star and what if altist i think those guys have contributed more to those rumors than anybody else
0: (laughs) yeah well like like tiger star makes sense because you got like you you two got into a bit of a uh, uh, slapping that please. was so.
1: That was so stupid. We had an argument one time over. <laughs> I. It was like it about was like Bolsonaro, an and then apparently that spiraled into people thinking I called him a gay furry, which I never said, by the way. <laughs> right. And then like two years or three years after that, alternate mystery, Hub, uh, alternate Mister Z Hub puts out that video. I'm like, oh, this this is a thing again. I almost forgot about it right i can't believe the guy deleted
0: all his comments can you believe that yeah well it was like i i i just remember reading about it and it just seemed like the internet equivalent of like rape allegations like you two got into an <laughs> argument and he comes out and he's, like, he's he's making he's a, a misogynist he's 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 belittling me he's discriminating against me because i'm <laughs> white
1: it's like uh, it's like what is happening yeah. Yeah, what was happening? Cause I I got confused at some point with what the redditors were saying. Right. Uh. <laughs> they referred
0: to as uh, alternate history hub's evil clone, which <laughs> is the uh. best fan theory at least. Uh, but there's that. What if Altis is convinced you're some kind of fascist? Uh,
1: I don't I don't know where that came from. Honestly, I think he's probably been browsing. You know, like I, I think he's. Probably leaning too much into, like, his libertarian uh, right. views, to where, like, anybody right of him is far right. Yeah. It's um, it's weird, because we had worked before on a podcast that another YouTuber had organized for us, and we were pretty... Um, pretty amiable? Was, so we were pretty civil back then. And then I don't hear from him for a long time. I actually reached out to him a few times, you know, to re- to talk about possibly collaborating. No response from him. And then eventually, I hear that he's been calling me a white nationalist and all that, and I said, well, "Hold on, am I allowed to cuss?" Uh, forget it. It would have been fine in the moment, but it's like when I have to like ask if I need to cuss. It's like no, It's like you know, <laughs> screw you. You know, like forget, forget <laughs> working with you. It's like, yeah, it's, it's an it's uh, it's stupid when a YouTuber who you don't speak to, who
0: and you find that they, out they go call off, you a
1: white nationalist, like. Right, as if they know you personally, you know?
0: Yeah, I get that. I believe me, I've in my personal life, I've had m- more than my fair share of uh, racism allegations and uh, all of them were just as ridiculous as the last. Um, I guess the the also the strange claim is that you and, and their evidence is your Rhodesia video uh, which mm-hmm. I watched and it didn't seem that bad, which was that you somehow support 1950 segregation. And I'm like, <laughs> it's like, I don't think that's what he was I talking about. I mean, technically,
1: uh, technically, with, with Rhodesia, it'd be apartheid, which. Right. No, it's. I'm um, explaining the situation in Rhodesia and how. To bring up that the white citizens of Rhodesia were, you know, strongly disenfranchised, which they were. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, think I think believe reject- at present, well, like there's still. South Africa. There's still, uh, talks about farm seizures and, you know, um, violent retaliation against the white settlers as, like, recompense, as just desserts for colonization. That is horrific. That's monstrous. Yeah,
0: no, that's not good. I'm with you there, buddy. That's...
1: Right, and that's really, essentially, um, I guess that's the most that was being argued in that the reason they had the system in place is because they were afraid of being disenfranchised, and if they were being disenfranchised, then they were worried it would what would happen to them is what happened in the other African colonies, like in the Belgian Congo, where, you know, white people were just massacred after they lost political power. Right. So, it's like, that's not that's not, like, out of the realm of reason of, that's not unreasonable for them to have that fear.
0: fear. And it's like, well, this sucks. This sucks that we're in this position. Uh, But, Mm. you know, from their perspective, it's like, we gotta do what we gotta do. You know? Mm -hmm. But, yeah, no. I I mean, (laughs) and... Reddit is uh it's it's hard to have these kind of Reddit arguments is a with place them too. Of intelligence and reason. I always get my best wisdom from Reddit. Uh it's a bastion of, of everything good about humanity. <laughs> um so d now I gotta I another thing I wanna ask about this particular subject and I think we'll we'll move on to other stuff, but do you feel like this at all has negatively impacted your channel? Because it seems like to me that you used to get a lot more views on your older videos than you do on your newer ones.
1: Yeah, so after the these controversial situations went on, my channel went through a bit of a rocky situation. Uh, we were hemorrhaging subscribers at one point, and we um, actually got... Shadow banned in a few different ways, Uh, so our videos were recommended less, and we our videos just weren't shown in Europe at all. Like, if you were in certain European countries and you clicked on my video, you'd get a message that said this video was unavailable in your country, which is wild to me. Yeah, it's like um, but it got to the point where it's like, okay, so all these people who like mass unsubscribing. Do we even want these people to be our audience? Right. It's like, I can't say anything to them that's going to offend them without them, like, making a huge fuss. Like, our community is better without these folks, and frankly, it's like, we we have a better community now because of it. But uh, it's a it's just a slightly smaller community. We've missed out, probably in terms of growth trends, on... Honestly, like maybe 90,000, 100,000 subscribers collectively over these years we've been working. But I think the US of Z is st- all the stronger for it right. as a community.
0: And it seems to me like you, you do seem to be recuperating a little bit. You, you, your videos seem to be getting uh, more views. Uh, from my perspective, mm-hmm. you're the man with the analytics and stuff. So, uh, But every once in a while you have a video that does pretty well, like your Metropole video. Which mm-hmm. that was a very good. I enjoyed that one.
1: You got a lore expansion for that coming out pretty soon.
0: Yeah, I know the uh, the creator of that was telling me about it, and I was pretty. Oh surprised. yeah, yeah, sweet. Yeah, so I'm pretty pumped, and uh, I will be looking forward to that video. Um, so what else? What was my next question? Right. So I do want to get a little, little personal here. So mm-hmm. you are no. You don't beat around the bush as to what your politics are. You're outspoken uh, conservative. Everybody knows who deals with you. Um, But uh, I want to ask, what shaped your politics? Like, what made you the conservative that you are?
1: It's a funny situation, honestly, because for the longest time I wasn't really politically aware. I was just sort of socially conservative. Um, So I grew up in uh, Brooklyn, New York, and... Brooklyn, New York, people, like, have this stereotype of it of, like, oh, it's a tough place to live. Yeah, maybe, like, 50 or so years ago, but, like, the majority of people who live in New York these days are sort of well off. You put them in any other state or any other community, and they'd be living very, very comfortably, uh, but instead, you know, they live in apartments because New York's expensive. Right. I grew up very, very poor in Brooklyn, so life for me in Brooklyn was hard. I lived in a ratty little apartment that was infested with vermin. It was just awful. Uh so because of that my upbringing was was harsher and I was at in a situation where it's like well life isn't really easy. You have to work hard if you yeah. want to, you know, make it. And I there was a it was tough and annoying really um so there's this mentality <laughs> I guess you, this is sort of like the liberal mentality of, you you could live in a nice house. You could have multiple video game consoles. You could have your own bedroom in a two-floor house, in a two-bathroom house, and then you have the mentality of, I'm poor. It's like, I hated hearing that. Like, I might go over to a friend's house, or an, like even an acquaintance, or of, uh, a friend of a friend, and Hear them or their family member talking about how poor they are. It's like you don't know what poor is. Yeah. You live in a beautiful house in a very expensive neighborhood, and look at and you have two cars. Stop. This. You have two cars in New York. How do you even park these things? Stop telling me you like, you're poor. You are a liar. You're a liar. Right. So that was like that gave me for a time uh, sort of a um, the sense of. There's people who are very very entitled. Yeah. People who don't realize how good they have it, Uh, and that sort of like built in my mind this idea of there. You know, you can give people a lot of. You can't. Some people, no matter how much you give them, they won't appreciate it. And there are people in. uh, You know, there are also people in the world who have very very little, who have the who don't have enough to, you know, make it through each day. Um, and those are the kind of people who do need help. So I had this mentality uh, that you could say was sort of economically left-wing for a while. Of like, you know, we should do more for the people. And for the longest time, Andrew Jackson, even like to this day, Andrew Jackson is still my favorite president. His story of, he was this, you know, poor frontier boy... He lost his entire family at age 14, and he really had to make it on his own. And his whole ideology was more power to the people, we need a stronger leader who represents the people. That really spoke to me, and that led me down to uh, a path of being sort of libertarian. Actually, I'm sort of like, uh, I'm, I'm skipping ahead. Uh, I, there was a time when I was also not living in New York, but I also lived sort of in the countryside. And this gave me a sense of people who had very... These were, you know, more modest people. These were people with strong values and strong beliefs. And this is something I admired. Because I myself, uh, I was raised in a Catholic household. Yeah. So we had an, uh, an idea of, like, hierarchy as being important. Another thing I hated about, um, like, a lot of people who were around me is that they called themselves Catholic. You know, they, like, they walk by the church and they do the sign of the cross, but it's like they didn't practice, like, the core tenets of Catholicism. So it's like, why are we here? Why are we even in this church if, like, this means nothing to you, you know? It had me, like, it had me in a situation where I was thinking, ideology, you know, dedication, virtue, honor, these, you know, these things, like, matter. These are things that you should hold yourself to, um... It's not just a personality to wear or, you know, like something that's fashionable. Damn. And you, that was hard to find in the city. When I moved out to the countryside, this was like... This, this shaped people's lives. And these people were stronger, healthier, and happier for it. And, you know, that's sort of built on this idea of mine that, you know, this is... This is what this is what discipline and dedication to a purpose actually gets you. Um so you had like that sort of baseline of social conservatism but you also had this sort of like libertarian with some uh, economically left wing views growing up. And I eventually fell into a local libertarian party. But and I was uh, I was a speaker for them. I did some small scale events for them. But come 2016, uh, when Trump was running for office, I really saw eye to eye with a lot of what Trump was talking about. And these libertarian guys, not so much. You know, they were (laughs) Trump talking about building a wall. And they're like, Oh, no, those immigrants are coming here. And they're doing the jobs that Americans don't want to do. They're doing jobs. It's like, if I want to pay, if I want to work for $5 an hour, I should be able to it's like, that's that's not how it works you're not taking into account the psychology of how people are today and you know you could say that's not their fault fine but it's like we have a culture that like makes people spoiled and this is also where that mentality of like it it became um a situation of these people you know who would talk about how poor they are it's like they can't really help that this is, you know, we we have a culture that tells them, you know, you need to always have better than what your neighbor has. We have a culture that really never tells you that what you have is good enough. We have a culture that's very very selfish and promotes selfishness in people, and that is, that in part derives from a lack of religiosity, that lacks from uh, that comes from a lack of ideology in the country. Really, our ideology as a country is freedom. Do whatever, you know makes you feel empowered you know makes you feel like you have you can do whatever you want and that just leads to degeneracy because a lot of people don't have strong wills and they don't have strong desires and uh, i'm sorry they don't have strong uh goals they don't have strong goals that are guiding them (laughs) a lot of people do have strong desires and oftentimes it's not for the best yeah um so where was i where was i okay so my ideology was developing more into you know taking into account the, psych, the psychology and the sociology of, like, why are we the way we are as a people? And my ideology grew more and more conservative uh, socially. Uh, and it, but it wasn't really until Trump, you know, became a prominent figure that I really said, that I really made the official shift politically from, like, libertarian to conservative.
0: I was, I was say I definitely understra- understand frustration with libertarians. I I myself kind of I I'm a social conservative. I've always been uh and, but I guess I think this has to do with probably my my Baptist upbringing. Uh my father was my grandfather was a Baptist preacher, my father was a Baptist youth pastor. Uh so I grew up in a very distinct home and I think this is just kind of characteristic of our religion is we don't trust authority. Mm-hmm. Uh we're we're like anything that they try and do, we generally could probably do better on our own. And Well here's
1: the, there's a an important sociological aspect to Baptist ideology. It's I think that's that's a thing. Um, when it comes to like let me just backtrack a little bit to the okay. I am Uncle Sam stuff. These you know, these different regions are like led by particular Ideologies, faiths, creeds, whatever it might be. Uh, baptism is a very, very, very strong, uh, especially as far as Protestantism goes, a strain of faith because it takes what is written in Scripture to heart. It's like this is the fundamentals of the faith, but it pairs that with a sense of individuality and in that I'm responsible for myself and for how I conduct myself in regard to the faith. Whereas other denominations of Protestantism might say, the faith is, the scripture is up for interpretation. Make of it what you will, conduct yourself how you will, and that leads people into this like, muddied version of Christianity that isn't really Christianity at all anymore. Right. And uh, similarly with Catholicism, you have a strong sense of hierarchy that is in the scripture, and in like, the leadership of the church, in that it's there is a single church and all the other churches are just branches of that church that all have that same hierarchy. Um, similar thing with Mormonism as well, which is another contributing factor to why it's a very, very strong religion.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so kind of that as Baptists, we generally take the scripture to heart. You're right. And, uh, So I always got frustrated, you know, when I would hear people and they would be like, well, actually, that piece of scripture is up for interpretation. I'm like, "Uh, no, it's in the book. It's in the (laughs) book. It says it right there. I can read it to you. That's what it says. That's what we live by. So um, that's always been a big social influence in my life. And uh, so that that desire for uh, social conservatism, but also that just general individualism that Baptists have. Uh, that rugged individualism where it's like don't tell me what to do i i can i can do the stuff on my own uh you know generally leave me alone uh, mm-hmm. it kind of carries over to my political views of it i i feel like people should generally be left alone and so that you know attracted me to the libertarian party but my problem with the libertarian party as i've explained to my friends is you know they're very apathetic Right, they don't like feel my, my I'd be sitting there, and this is an example, you know, the the libertarians would be like, the federal government is too big. It needs to get out of the way. And I'd be like, yeah. And they're like, so let's legalize all the drugs. And I'm like, no. <laughs> and then you've got, you know, the, the conservative, uh, very, I, I don't want to say radical, but very different branch of conservative, like the... Pop up in the back and they're like, yeah, we should use the power of the government to make everybody Catholic. And I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's like the, the yeah, that's a, I'm of the uh, I'm of the persuasion that we are in a situation where the government is the size of the government is not really something we can debate right now because our enemies have no trouble expanding the government and utilizing the current government powers to their fullest extent. You have somebody who will take the government powers and use them sparingly, and it's like the people who are on our side will never, ever be able to undo what our enemies are doing because our enemies are doing it at a faster, more extreme pace than we are. It's only if we were to take a more extreme pace and say, we need to use the federal government's authority as far as possible, and then once things are, like, settled in that, like, we don't have to worry about our enemies undoing what we're doing right and it's like okay we can start winding back government power because we've established sort of a culture in the country again we're not a, we're not polarized you can't have weak government from one side in a polarized society because that weak side is going to lose that's plainly what it is
0: right and and i understand that and and to an extent i can agree um I, I agree that something needs to be done. We've got to change things. Um, and, but that, 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 you know, use of top down authority again, just feels so, uh, counter to, to what I, I'm going only ascribe as th- that deeper Baptist and, and to an extent Protestant philosophy, which is very averse to top down authority. So, mm-hmm. uh, my, My thinking is, and I guess my sort of compromise is, at the federal level, the mission for me is not get the power and then just not do much with it. It's get the power and then just destroy the power so they can't use it again. But at the local level, that's where you get the, okay, we as a community have decided that we're not going to allow this type of behavior. We're not going to allow this line of thinking because it is your community. It is more reflective of your values And uh, so if there's some type of injustice, it's a little easier to to change. But it is also they have more authority um, because they're more because they're more local. Um, What state are you from again? I'm from Arkansas.
1: Ah, okay. So it's interesting because you do have sort of the southern mentality and like I've, I've broken down before is. The Southern mentality is, you know, based on Baptist tradition, and it is also based on decentralization, and decentralization also comes from those agrarian roots and those Baptist roots. Um, So you guys have a very, (laughs) and again, just dialing back to am Uncle Sam again, you guys have that strong sense of self-sufficiency, which is very, very effective, and that's really what gave us, like, Jeffersonianism and Jacksonianism, the idea of, like, you no, you have a strong president in government, but for the most part, that president doesn't need to use his powers unless, you know, there's a situation where the country as a whole is, or multiple parts of the country are deviating from the norm. Right.
0: Yeah, I can I can get that. And, and uh, you know, I've heard the argument when I bring up this idea that we should just we, we should do the social change and, and big things like that on the locality or at the state level. And I've heard, like, well, won't California or whatever be different? And uh, my general position is, yeah, it's going to be different. Uh, but right now, my main concern is fortifying what we have. So that way, uh, you know, if we have these pig, two giant colossal forces, everything can get taken out in, in one fell swoop. So my main concern is let's fortify what we have. And then when that's secure, that's when we launch the assault on on them. And we figure out our game plan then. So that's my main uh, idea. Uh, I'm a big fan of localism. You know, I think it's a solid
1: strategy. Localism again—that's another like very traditionally Southern and Baptist uh, tradition. Yeah. Um, but the, um, <laughs> I you know I think about it as <laughs> thinking about like the multiple strategies though of like multiple. Uh, I think, but, again, the dominant groups in America. It's like, when you brought up, like, the one guy who wants to use government power to make everyone Catholic, it's like, you're not far off in that. It's like, a (laughs) lot of Catholics, a lot of Catholics like Nick Fuentes wouldn't be opposed to that, but that's the Catholic mentality, too. That's, use government power to its fullest extent to make everyone uniform. Um, And that's why the Catholics are sort of, like, growing in uh, strength and, like, it's sort of dominating this, like, new political generation. I think as far as, like, Baptists go... If you guys don't, like, get your spread of localization as an ideology, I think sort of a secession of Baptist America as an independent entity is probably inevitable. Because you have these other forces that are like, well, we want to increase federal power, be it for uh, increasing uniformity in the country toward, like, a right-wing identity, or you want this left-wing ideology that wants to impose this uniform um, doctrine upon everybody. Right. So it's like you have a situation where the with the baptist I, I can't even say the south because there are some northern states as well that have uh, baptist majorities or at least baptist pluralities i'm um, to get the these,
0: baptist america inevitable
1: video i think i will do that now yep
0: yes let's go you uh, <laughs>
1: <first>. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think that's uh you know that is a solid situation um and let, let's talk about the Mormons briefly too because it's like the Mormons, their whole philosophy is just sort of like endure. They know that they can't really be corrupted to the same extent that Baptists might be corrupted by ideology because Baptists have that um, right. of course they have the strong doctrine but they also have the whole um, I guess we, self-sufficiency we as, thing.
0: We refer to it as individual soul liberty. We're basically uh, it's not up to anyone else as to how you pursue God, as long as you meet the core tenets, there's no mm-hmm. set way of you pursuing that. Now, there're recommendations, obviously, but uh, there's no, oh, there's no like, we don't have a Pope or whatever that tells us, you know, this is how you're supposed to. This is the nitty gritty of how you worship God. It's it's there's the very there's there's like basically bullet points and then. It's like these are the set things. These are the set things. You know, the Bible is <clears> the Word of God. Uh, no, wor- no word is left there unintentionally. Everything is uh, has a purpose. It's All set in stone. And then there's, you know, the idea. You need a church. You got to go to church. And then on and on and on. Uh, but other than that, the way you conduct yourself. As long as it is in line with the scripture, it is completely up to you.
1: Mm -hmm. And that's as a strategy. That is something that gives you geniuses. If you have something like Catholicism, where everything is very stifled, everything is by the book and conducted by a hierarchy, you have uniformity and you have order and you have structure. Geniuses can only come from within the church because if you have somebody who is a genius who deviates from the norm, the church can suppress that through, say, an inquisition or something. You have a situation where it's like, we encourage you to find your best self, really, but within the tenets of the faith. And that allows for you to have people who will deviate from the faith slightly, but still adhere to its core tenets. And this allows for geniuses to really thrive and create improvements for Baptist civilization. Yeah, Mormonism has, but the only thing is that also leaves you vulnerable for those people who do deviate. If somebody deviates toward something like, you know, far leftism, there isn't much of a protection other than the core tenets and maybe the community saying, we'll ostracize you for this. We don't accept what you're doing. But, you know, there's no, like, direct threat of, like, you are you know you're at risk of being persecuted for this
0: right i guess our one our our achilles heel is we don't have that uh i guess repercussion if you start going absolutely wild and crazy and i guess that i think that's a discussion that in the baptist community that we probably need to have uh i'm i'm more okay with more uh I don't want to say persecution, but,
1: um, uh, ostracism,
0: ostracism and all of that on the local level, because again, they, they are your, they are your peers. They, they want, they're your kin. These are,
1: these are your people. They're not, you have... they're not doing
0: something out most of the time. If, if they are good hearted people, they're not in, uh, they're not doing this to you because they, they hate you or because they think that you're, uh, inferior or because you are inherently evil or whatever they're doing this because they feel like that is what's best for the community. And they're not trying to use top down authority from somewhere and say Washington to do this to you. They're going to do it to them. They're going to try and fix it themselves. Uh, and, and that's another
1: aspect of uh, baptism. You have so much strength at the local level. You're very inward-facing, but you're not um, right. expansionist, really. You can't enforce this in a community where there's a minority of Baptists. You can't even do this in a community where there is only a plurality of Baptists. If you have a community that's ma- very, you know, majority Baptist, uh, then ostracism works. Because it's like everybody in the community now says... We don't accept what you're doing. You know, I I don't look at you the same way. I don't look at you kindly. I wish for you to be back on the straight and narrow path. That's not enforceable if you have, you know, at least um, a few people who are going to be like, oh, no, no, don't worry. You know, if you need this, you come to me. You know, I don't like those guys anyway. I'll encourage you. I'll enable your lifestyle. Right. If you have too many enablers in that society, then ostracism doesn't work.
0: Yeah, and and
1: that's actually a downward spiral too because then you have uh sort of a perpetuation of that. You can have more and more people going against the norm and that weakens uh Baptist uh hold in an area.
0: Yeah, I think that there's definitely, you know, uh that that is our that is our like I said it's our Achilles heel and we got to figure out how are we going to deal with that. But I mean my general I, I guess I subscribe to a degree of of class like when I say classical liberalism, I mean like when John Locke was first writing that we should you know allow for freedom of religion. He he said we should allow for freedom of religion except for atheists and Catholics. Uh, <laughs> that's a degree. My my main thing is people should be able to do what they want as long as what they're doing doesn't threaten the the liberty. If it doesn't create a downward spiral that wrecks everything, if we if we don't contain it. So, uh, I, I've, I've kind of, I've called it a sort of controlled liberalism where it's like, okay, you want to do that? That's fine. Uh, but what you can't, you know, do things that would harm the family unit. You can't do things that would, uh, sow confusion. You can't do things that would, uh, that would cause a social breakdown in society because you do have to maintain some level of, uh, Order, in order for things to run smoothly, you know. Mm-hmm. And, Absolutely. Um, so, like, when it comes to the federal level on on issues such as uh, the like homosexuality, um, on the moral social level, on the personal level, I I'm very anti all of that. Uh, you know, there's there's an old Baptist preacher I used to, I I listen to sometimes, and I remember he would he would talk about it, and he would say, you know, uh he's very outspoken, he'd say, you know, you'd have the the blue baby carriage for the boys and the uh, pink baby carriage for the girls, but I've never seen a rainbow baby carriage for the gay baby. And, uh, you know, I think that's part of the traditional Baptist way, which, because we take everything very literally, you know, it says very explicitly in the Bible that uh, in the Old Testament that homosexuality is, is no joke, don't mess with it. So that's <laughs> something on that, but as far as, like, the federal level, like, okay, I'm not cool with, you know, outlawing it at the federal level, because, again, I don't trust authority, but uh, my main position is that the government's position should be that we're not going, like, if you're gay, we're not gonna lock you up or, or anything like that, or or, or take harsh action against you, but we're not going to encourage your delusion that what you're engaging in is marriage. We have a distinct definition of marriage, and what you're doing is not that, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's all about not necessarily, uh, direct action against, but not direct action in favor for, you know,
1: mm-hmm. again, it is that, in a way, ostracism, yeah, a that whole, awesome. it, we as the community do not encourage this, but that only has, um, yeah, that only really has force in majority Baptist communities right. or at least communities where those sentiments are shared.
0: Right. And I think that there's been an issue in the Baptist community where we've kind of slowed down on missionary work. You know, we don't really go out and we don't really spread the, the gospel and try and bring people into our faith. We just kind of sit around and um, we don't really, we just think, well, if, if, if they're, they'll come to us if we, if they won't get saved or whatever, and we don't, <laughs> we don't go out, we don't try and persuade people. And I think the problem is that the perception of of Baptists is that we just sit around and we don't do anything and we don't actually, you know, take any harsh action against anything as Baptists. And I think that in order we have to start attracting people to come in and say, hey, look. First, our our primary concern is you accept salvation and. You know, general Christian things, but also that we do have a purpose here as being Baptist, and you have, a, uh, we have ways we do things, and these other ways, they're not as good. And on the personal level, we got to fight those ways, and give people a uh, kind of a, a fire, which I just don't think we have. I think the Catholics have that, and that's a very <clears throat> advantageous thing that they do have. They're very, uh, I guess, aggressive. passionate. They're very like these ways their perversions we got to get them uh you know i think right now though it's very peculiar right now that the the right the conservative movement has this christian coalition and it's uh we don't like each other but we hate the other guys more and (laughs) yeah uh, i just think that after when I, i say inevitably uh when the conservatives went out that that coalition is going to fall apart, and we're going to go back to the way things used to be, where, like, my grandmother hated JFK, not because he was a Democrat, but solely because he was Catholic, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that we'll go back to that, and it's kind of a shame, because I think when we work together, we are probably a pretty fierce coalition, but uh, I think that's just how, how it's going to go,
1: I think— it, it doesn't work, though, that coalition, because you're talking about right the, 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 what what I've said before is the dominant strains of Christianity in America, at least moving forward in as far as, like, zeal goes, our Catholicism, baptism, and uh, Mormonism. But moving forward, those three religions are going to be very, very important in the United States, and you could easily see in a situation where the United States breaks up that there is a Catholic America, that there is a Baptist America, and there is a Mormon America.
0: Right. Well, I mean, there is another dominant religion uh, that plays a major role, and that's just general leftism. Uh, oh, right. Well, that's going
1: to be the emerging atheistic religion. Well, Interestingly honestly, enough,
0: there's a weird, there's a weird leftist, progressive strain out there. There is. There really is. Of Christianity, but, um, and it's, you know, I it it grows primarily in the metropolitan areas, uh, and it among leftists who want to be considered themselves Christians, so they can basically wear that tag around and be like well actually I'm a Christian and I don't think that that's wrong or I don't think that that's how things are supposed to be Uh, Tiger Star mm, mm, (laughs) uh, (laughs) you know and and that is very appealing so I think that the dominant uh, Christian religions are going to be Catholicism, Baptism, Mormonism and I guess, progressivism. Uh, progressivism <laughs> as, a, as a religion. You could make a religion
1: out of this. I um, mean, you could. That's the whole thing. Yeah.
0: So I think those will be the four, uh, the, the Christian battle royale. That's what it's going to be. Uh, mm-hmm. You know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Uh, This was a good conversation. It was a a tangent, but but it was a... Yeah, it was a good uh, tangent on religion, and we talked about it for, like, 20 minutes or so.
0: Right, yeah, I enjoy this kind of stuff. You know, uh, I am curious. You identify yourself as an atheist. uh, Agnostic. Agnostic, right. And um, I, I, I understand conservatism for religious folk, but I've never understood the justification for conservatism on an atheistic level, you know, if there is or, or an agnostic right, if there is no force that defines the way things are supposed to be, what is the justification for uh, conserving things that like social values or, or things like that? Uh,
1: uh, so, we our civilization, really. We don't have we don't have a, a civilization that without faith, that without ideology, without real meaning and purpose behind things can uh, perpetuate itself. You know, the people need something that tells them what is right and wrong. Be that a faith, be that an ideology, be that whatever it might be. Holding yourself to something, uh, holding yourself to an ideology is um, without the idea of some kind of authority behind it. Say that authority is a very strong leader or a God. Holding yourself to something without that is difficult and I don't think a majority of people can do it. But um, I consider myself highly ideological uh, and I've been able to hold myself to something. I've also had a very very um, important uh, role model in my life who has helped me along uh, and helped um, not so much shape my political ideology, but shaped my idea of discipline and holding yourself to something and being really the best version of yourself you can be within the um, framework of a moral doctrine and uh, as far as what an ideal person is, as far as like health and fitness goes. Um, So, my views are definitely a little unorthodox. But I think that they do generally fall well in line with Christianity, uh, and I do draw quite a bit from um, various strains of Christianity as well. I, of course, I was raised Catholic, and the, those views of hierarchy are with me, but um, the ideals of the Baptist self-sufficiency, that really stuck with me as well, because uh, I was always told... Before you can hope to be somebody that other people can rely on, before you try to help others, before you try to change anything, it's like, make sure you can take care of yourself. Make sure that you're capable of ruling yourself. Make sure you're capable of carrying your own weight. Once you're there, shape yourself into somebody that other people can rely on. Shape yourself into someone who can carry other people's weight, the people you care about, the people you want to help, um, and be of service to society what other reason is there for us to be here you know we're social creatures we live with other humans uh, and you know some people it's hard to build bonds with them because you don't feel connection to them because they are of a different culture maybe maybe they are they don't even speak your language perhaps but there is a very very recognizable kinship with people who share beliefs with you who people who recognize with people who recognize the things you believe uh, the things that you see um, people who have experiences and memories like yours and people who ultimately feel like they feel like family
0: yeah yeah i I guess that's kind of the reason that that general line of thought that people feel kinship with those that share fundamental things with them mm. I, that. You can see that across, I mean, you can see that on the international scale. You can see that with the United States and its uh, Anglospheric brothers, you know, we, we all kind of sh- do share a little bit of... Something, although the United States is like the rebellious cousin that got drunk and wandered off into the woods and never came back. <laughs> uh,
1: in a in a way, yes, America's culture has been defined by a couple other things that make it very very distinct, right, uh, from the rest of the Anglo sphere. But we're still within that Anglo sphere, right. and um, and and we do we, we have better relations with those countries than anyone else. People talk about Israel being our greatest ally. Very obviously, our greatest ally is the Anglo sphere. You know, right. Canada. Britain, Australia, we've worked with these countries more than any other country.
0: Yeah, and we can have those good relations even after we've fought wars to get away from them. Exactly. It's 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 something to consider. Uh, I've joined, I've hopped on the Anglosphere train. I think the Anglosphere is inevitable. It's inevitable. Right. Uh, <laughs> although I, you know, when they inevitably form, I think the U.S. should be friendly, but stay out because I love American
1: independence exactly. too much. Many people talk about the U.S. joining the Anglosphere, and I think that's a debate for later on. But I, my personal view is that the U.S. is its own independent entity uh, right. friendly to the Anglosphere, but not a part of the Anglosphere. Not a part of the state that will be called the Anglosphere. But, see, that's the terminology. The terminology is funny. Um, the U.S. is part of the idea of an Anglosphere. Right. The U.S. will not be part of the state that is the Anglosphere.
0: Right, whatever that state be called, be it. The British Empire, be it Kanzuk, be it uh, mm-hmm. Team Kanzuk all the way. Let's go, baby. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I I, I agree with, with that philosophy. That you share a kinship with uh, brothers and 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 with. Uh, those who share values and it's it's your
1: civilization really you know your upbringing has brought you here if you grew up in a terrible civilization uh then it's like you know what what is there for you to (laughs) like hold up but we you know i live in the united states the superpower of the world that is the inheritor of legacy of centuries of european civilization and of rome like, this is something honorable. This is something beautiful and worth preserving.
0: Yes. that That is an admirable goal to to uh, try and protect and hold up something that was once uh, great and beautiful. I get irritated. This is a, it, it's
1: not just about holding it up, too. It's about writing Anything the next forward. chapter in the story. Exactly. You know, we all have a role to play in carrying this forward. And you can take that a step further and talk about Humanity, you know, we're all a part of humanity, and we have at present a situation that is worrying in that we don't take care of our environment as we should. We don't take care of ourselves as we should. We have a very, very dysgenic society. We also have a society that's moving toward people um, moving toward addiction, moving toward uh, more. And uh, moving toward the bestial nature of humanity, rather than the divine nature of humanity, of holding yourself to a code, holding yourself to improvement and becoming the best you you can be. You can't have that if people are just en masse surrendering, uh, not even people en masse, it's the masses themselves are surrendering themselves to degeneracy. Because if you have the masses surrendering uh, surrendering themselves to uh, degeneracy, the elites are always going to be in a minority. These these elites, even if they have good habits, that's not going to be enough to keep humanity on top. Humanity is going to descend further and further and eventually become this primal, disgusting, animalistic thing if we don't move toward morality.
0: Right. Uh, I agree. I agree completely. I mean, the only thing I think that I would disagree with you on there. Uh, I think this comes from my uh, religious background and, again, that that Baptist background. Uh, When it comes to issues such as um, environmentalism and and climate change and and things like that, I don't know how big you are into, like, the climate change, let everybody scare, run to the hills, hide, uh, hide your kids, hide your wives, but um, the religious view is that uh uh man is not capable of destroying the earth that the only person capable of destroying humanity and, and earth itself is is god and that god has a certain plan for when he will do that and so while we we should take care of the planet and i'm, and I'm agreed, uh and i'm a big fan of conservationism and, and things of that nature uh we shouldn't be afraid that our actions are going to, you know, wipe out everything and we're all going to die. And it's going to be horrifying. I'm not scared of nuclear war in the same way that everybody else is. Uh,
1: well, isn't it written in Scripture that we're the caretakers of the world that God's created?
0: Right, yes. And and again, I, I do believe we should take care of the world. But my, my motivation for taking care of the world is not that if we don't take care of the world, we're all going to die and everything's going to be horrible. So we've got to, you know... Wreck everything in order to save the planet, like it's some kind of religion. We've <laughs> got to eat. Dogs. Right, that's
1: that's the extreme of it. But I'm talking about recognizing that if you do not uh, play an active role in, you know, caring for the environment, because we are in a situation where we actively cause damage to the world by we we produce excess waste and we produce unnatural waste. It's not just a matter of like, oh, well, this can turn into compost and the environment can use it. It's like environment can't really use plastic for anything. You know, that's uh, sort of an aberration yeah, uh, as
0: it I is. Mean, on the plastic issue, I just... Other than just stop using plastic, which I don't know what you'd be using as an alternative because... Plastic is so cheap, and we're so reliant on it because we use it in almost everything. I just don't know what to do with the plastic. I mean, for years we gave it to the Chinese, and they're like, "Yes, we know how to use your plastic." And we gave it to them, and they're like, <laughs> they're like, haha loser!" We throw it into the sea, <laughs> and, and they were just, yeah, they're like, "They're like, what you told us that you knew what to do with the plastic?" And they're like, "We lied."
1: And, and no, we knew what to do with it. the plastic. We threw it in the sea. We threw it into the ocean, oh. and uh, you know, it's uh. like,
0: uh, I just, on on those subjects, I just get irritated when I, like, I get a look from my biology teacher, and she's, like, shaming me because I'm eating with a plastic fork, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm going <laughs> to bring a metal fork and clean it, <laughs> you know, it's like, right <laughs> you know, I, I I do agree that there are, there are definitely measures we we should do, I think we should take care of the planet, I'm all for, I'm all for that, but I just... Here's the matter, though, if it's like, if I, we
1: talk about, like, plastic, it's like, if you're going to use plastic, we should at least have better systems in place to like dispose yeah. of it don't or it do China. something with it. It's, don't give it to China. <laughs> <laughs> this is a, It's not a matter of um. You know the the ocean levels are going to rise in 100 years, so we're not going to give anybody plastic bags anymore. It's like, and that's another thing too. If the climate's changing, for the most part, it's out of our hands. You know, right. na- this is it's nature.
0: Baked into the cake. It's like okay, if we did do anything we can't stop it it's too late Mm -hmm. game over sorry
1: that if we did anything this is also it could just be the natural cycles of the world as the world you know changes and reshapes itself uh climate the climate changes all the time all throughout history you know i um i guess but this is again there's there's a this is again part of my whole ideology of uh, leaving the world better than how i found it is we have a stewardship over this uh, over the planet so we have to do our part you know for ourselves for our civilization for humanity uh for the world itself
0: right i guess i always get knee jerky around environmentalism just cuz of my 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 despisement of the radical <laughs> i'm <laughs> don't worry i'm not advocating for what the radical left is advocating for but so so when someone says environmentalism I'm like huh! You know, like uh, a PTSD reaction and, uh, uh, you know, I guess my main point is I agree we should take care of the planet, but we have to figure out a way where we can do that and we don't accidentally ruin everything because our civilization is very finicky and just as we should take care of the environment, we have to make sure that, oh, we... We put a tax on this, and now everything is terrible. Now, and nobody can afford anything. And nothing got fixed anyway. Yeah, I get. I, I think another inspiration for my more libertarian views is I grew up, and you know, we never went without, but we never had like an excess of money or, or, or things like that. And the only reason we went, we never went without, was because. Um, my father, being the workaholic that he is, he refu—he can't sit still and just relax. He has to be out there and working. So he's always doing something. And he <clears throat> he always uh, is trying to, you know, when he's not working at the church, he's driving a school bus. When he's not driving a school bus, he's out working on his garden. When he's not working on his garden, he's out helping out on the local farm. When he's not doing that, he's uh, fixing up four-wheelers to sell. You know, he he always works. And so that can be a little irritating at times when, you know, your father's always working. But uh, it it is I'm grateful for it because it it provides for us and we've always felt safe and secure. But um, I always remember growing up and thinking uh, I would, you know, hear on the news like, you know, Obama's going to do this and it's going to help the poor people. And then I'd be like every time this man says the man on the news says he's doing something to help us, things get worse. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's like we're going to do the, the uh, Affordable Health Care Act and if you like your doctor, you can keep it. And then like a month later, I hear my mom nearly cussing at Obama because, you know, now she has to buy health care and it's it's way more expensive than the health care she already bought. And, uh, you know, so I, I guess I've always grown up with the, the philosophy of government. You're right. Government could try and do something, but odds are government's going to bungle it. You know, it's mm. it's not going to do it like it says it's going to. More than likely, it's going to end out worse than it intended for it to come out. Right. Uh, and and it's the same way, you know, with with environmentalism. You know, the government should try and preserve the environment, but it you know, it also stifles people's livelihoods and, and progress of techno of technology and. You know, I'm not a. I get irritated when that happens it's like oh i'm sorry i can't water my crops because there's a rare fish that lives in this pond it's like thank you now i don't get to make there's money a,
1: this year yeah there was um um the, the situation yeah. there is if you implement you know change at a local level then so you assume risk at the local level right it's like this individual might lose money because he made a mistake. But that doesn't mean the rest of the town is influenced by it. Right. This town might implement something, and if they make a mistake, the rest of the county isn't affected by it, just that one town.
0: Right. You implement
1: something at the federal level, everybody's affected by yeah, it. Yeah, it's an all or nothing There's game a,
0: at the federal level, you know? It's like. You know, it either just, succeeds or it fails. And it's the same way in the, in the political game when people say, like, we have to use the federal government to, to wipe out the left in its totality. I'm like, okay, that sounds great. But if we initiate that, then. Uh, the left is if the left gains power before we can achieve that they're gonna wipe us out you know and they're gonna right but us, if we imp- if we, they're but gonna if we implement harder. that okay
1: but if we implement that don't, aren't we in power at that time and aren't we able to use that power
0: right and i'm not against using power i'm just like we have to think carefully when we use this you know it's not just something like a club to wield willy-nilly it's like okay What are the repercussions if we use it, you know?
1: Well, if we... Okay, so say hypothetically, we hold off on... Well, I mean, we've already talked about this, but it's a whole situation of if we don't use the power at least to the level... Heck, at least doesn't cut it. If we don't use the power uh, a step above our enemies, then our enemy is just going to be killing us slowly because we're moving at a far slower pace than they
0: are. I understand that, but... uh... I mean when what I was trying to say is like when you put everything and you write everything on uh if you like just uh forsake the culture and you forsake the local stuff and you forsake the state stuff and you're like we're going to write everything on federal policy and it's like okay that's a gamble we can make and you know we could win and it could be great but it also could backfire and it could be very very bad when it does you know <laughs> Uh, the
1: local stuff, again, doesn't have that kind of impact in areas where you don't have majority support.
0: Right. Or you don't have majority
1: support is in, and that also comes to, like, uh, how things are organized, because you could easily have a gerrymandered situation where it's like, California New York are blue states, so what about all those red counties in those states? Like, they have to suffer right. from that and situation as well. I
0: understand that argument, um, and... I I think we should do something eventually to take care of those regions. But, you know, my my main philosophy is fortify first and then we attack, you know. Mm -hmm. Because if we just go into the attack and they push us back and we don't get anything to fall back on, uh, you know, it's not going to be good. Also, it is a good strategy
1: to fortify what you do have. You know,
0: also, my general idea is use power to destroy power. Uh, I know that we know some people you and me who advocate very differently. Uh, I've gotten into arguments with them over issues like the education. I'm not a fan of the federal department of education existing. And uh, I would be more content if, you know, I was allowed if, if the state, like the, when I say the state, I mean like the States uh, chose what they taught and sure. Different States teach different things. And maybe they're not all, not all up to the same standard, uh, but, you know, in the end, the power feels more in the hands, especially when you're dealing with children who are, like, our most important asset. You know, they're the future. And mm-hmm. I don't trust bureaucrats in Washington to handle my kids, you know? Right. I guess. And again, that that is, you know, religion so heavily shapes uh You know, your political views. I had a friend and he was just a radical leftist, but we were very similar in personality, the way we acted, our general demeanor. We were very similar people, even in our interest. But I, I, so I I sat down and I just kept trying to think, like, why are we so different? And the only, the fundamental difference that I found between us was that I was a staunch Baptist and he was a staunch atheist. And then. Mm fundamental philosophical difference of is there a higher power or is there not shaped everything else you know and and so when talking about how religion impacts politics i that's very fascinating discussion
1: you know mm. are there uh, any more questions on here or oh, uh, i had a here? couple
0: more questions um and these are just some sort of topical questions about what's going on uh What do you think of our boy Elon Musk buying Twitter?
1: I think that's fantastic. So, you know, Musk has his his ideological drawbacks as far as, uh, you know, his push for transhumanism and all that. But um, as far as something like free speech goes, he's someone that's probably, uh, that Twitter is probably in good hands in with.
0: Right. And, you know, when it comes to Musk, it's like, okay, he's a transhumanist, right? And I'm not a fan of that. But he's better than Bill Gates, who thinks we should actively lower the Earth's population. It's like, you know, Musk Mm. thinks we're underpopulated. And so he's at least, while he may be transhuman, he's not—
1: Musk Musk is bright in that. I hate the whole we're overpopulated thing.
0: Yeah, it's like if we we stacked everyone shoulder to shoulder, we would barely fill up Florida. It's like it's not an overpopulation issue.
1: Mm-hmm. and our population is declining yeah. big thing is musk recognizes how this is going to affect us sure it if we go back to a population of uh, uh, what, what are we at right now nine billion
0: hey uh, let me look it up what is the global global we're at uh, at 2020 it said that as of no as of 2022 we're at 7.9 billion.
1: 7.9. So, say, you know, like on a long enough scale, uh, because of population decline, we fall back to like 2 billion. Right. That's not a terrible situation for us to live with. But what this is going to do, because we've gone from there to here, or rather from here to there, I should say, uh, and we don't prepare for that, we're going to have a massive uh, shortage of labor. Right. And a massive shortage of labor means a massive shortage of all the things we're used to. Things become harder, things become less convenient. And that happens without enough uh, preparation, and you have economic collapse, which makes things all the harder. You have economic collapse, you have mass death, which leads to further population decline, and you essentially have a catastrophe. Musk recognizes this and feels the need for us to implement more automation to compensate for this, which is fine as well. But uh, I don't think there's much avoiding the situation because we've been so uh, bad with it up until this point and um We've been ba- i made a video about it
0: into thinking people are bad
1: and so yeah I made, a video, I made a video about it too um and the whole situation is things are going to get very very hard for us especially in the west you know the west has the has some pretty low birth rates right now right and the west is also the most hampered region of the world it's like we're used we're used to some of the best stuff so if we don't have stuff to, if we don't have the, um, I guess the cushion to like protect us when this all comes crashing down, we are going to be in a new um. What would well, be a good? Age, say. A little dark age. Yes, there you go. Cue the music.
0: Yeah, um, I think, <laughs> I think honestly, I think that cushion is, is slowly going away. Especially as, you know, ever since World War Two, we've been living in this prosperity, right. Mm-hmm. But ever since the uh, the end of the Cold War, we've been living in significant prosperity, you know, um, with globalism. And, 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 yet and yet we're more
1: depressed than ever. Yes, I Why agree. Why is that? Uh,
0: and I think that's because but- we've lost, you know, we, we've, we've put all of our, I think, um, Ben Shapiro wrote a book on this. And I don't know, I doubt you're a huge fan of him, but it's a pretty good book. It's called The Right Side of History. And basically the whole book... Uh, break ask a question like okay things are better than ever before so why is everybody so depressed why are we ready to kill each other you know and uh it basically just goes through um and and follows the trail of western thought you know the that led to our prosperity and our happiness uh and traces it to its pinnacle and then finds the root of the problems that let us have led us into where we are now where we're all Depressed and ready to kill each other, and nobody's having kids, and everything sucks, and it's horrible, and all that stuff. It's a very good book. It's pretty short, as far as books go. Uh, but I would recommend that to you. It's it's one of my favorite books. I've read it multiple times.
1: Uh, well, could you give, could you give me a general synopsis of? Okay, uh, so basically, oh. his
0: thesis is in the book is that um, Western civilization is built on two pillars, which he refers to as Athens and Jerusalem. And uh, Athens represents reason, right? And and the West is very reason based. Uh, I think you can agree. Um, mm-hmm. And then the uh, Jerusalem represents kind of that uh, religiosity, that uh, underlying moral truths, those uh, things of that nature. The stuff that maybe we can't fully rationalize uh, rationalize them, but we just know that they're good, right? and he traces that to originally Jewish thought and then later Christian thought. Um, but uh, he, he basically says that you know, Athens and Jerusalem are basically two, I don't want to say opposing forces, but they don't, they're, they're kind of opposing forces. Um, and when you have, and that civilizations truly prosper when both of them are in synchronicity when they both weigh each other out you know if you go too far into the reason and the rationalism you'll find fa- you'll find yourself in the horrors of communism and uh, and and the worst catastrophes of the first uh, of the 20th century uh, but if you go too far into the reason or the uh, jerusalem and revelation and religion and and things of that you find yourself in you know the middle east or in when uh you know in the worst parts of of western religious culture you know when we're tearing each other apart because we believe slightly different things from each other you know or we're so committed to religious principles that we stifle progress and, and things of that nature and so basically that yeah,
1: goes back to the idea of the uh self-sufficient enough to have to allow for genius but uh also moral enough to you know have foundations
0: right he basically says that um that one of the things he says is that uh, the best, one of the most important lines of dialogue or or lines of literature ever written is in the Bible when it says that man is made in the image of God, and which means that man is important, that the human has some, that the, the human person has some type of value because they're made in the image of God, that they're not just widgets in a machine, you know? Uh, <clears throat> I mean, the book explains it better than I ever could. I would I recommend that to you i'm trying to remember where we were going right so uh you know we've we've been living more prosperously than we've ever lived before as a species you know and but i think that's probably going to start ending at some point especially as the global order that we've had for the last 30 years and to an extent the last um you know, 80 years since the end of World War II uh, is breaking down. You know, you've got Russia invading Ukraine and uh, budding up to China and basically spheres of influence are starting to be formed again. And that's going to cause a lot, that's going to cause, you know, a lot of problems. So I think as we're going to have to become more accustomed to dealing with less of stuff. Now, do I think that we're going to, go without and it's going to be horrible and you know we're going to run out of food and uh all that sort of thing no but it's not going to be easy it's going to be a little rough and so mm-hmm. i think when people start losing stuff they may start turning back to um the deeper to to deeper ground to stand on not uh, materialism but something more akin to spiritual you know. and I think if you're religious it's going to be religion but if you're not it's going to be ideology and so I think the left is going to get more crazy as things get worse you know
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. another uh, situation you have is that there is a threshold for just how much happiness uh, people can really feel uh, no matter how much you give them Right. You have a situation where all you have is plumbing, or all you have is heat, uh, and that's all you know for all your life, and you work a field, uh, and you have a very baseline level of happiness. It's like, okay, this was a good day, that was a bad day, take that same person, <clears throat> and you upgrade them to a house, and you get them used to that house, eventually they're going to get back to their baseline of, okay, I have some good days, I have some bad days, they might be grateful that they don't live in a hut anymore, but it's like their, their happiness isn't increased tremendously. In fact, their happiness goes back to about the same level there was a study about this, where you really... We, we just keep falling back to a baseline consistently. Right. And I think that's really symbolic of the idea that we do need to return to something a little bit more simple, because if you keep advancing and advancing and advancing... Human life becomes harder to sustain for less uh, of a re- uh, less of a positive result, really, because you you have the same outcome of like how people feel. You have probably the same level of productivity, if not less productivity, because now people have distractions as they're seeking continued pleasure. Because they get their you know they have their baseline, they have maybe you know an up or a down in their day, and they're like. I want to feel good again and they can't because all you really get is like little hits of dopamine from like an internet game, from a video, from whatever it might be. But ultimately you're going to go back to that baseline and because that baseline isn't the highs that you're used to because we have a very, very saturated world now. So it's like we can get you to very high highs now, but when you go back to your baseline, you feel depressed now, (laughs) which isn't helping anybody. Um, So it's like if you have people like get used to working, um, you know, frankly, I think one of the most enriching and one of the most satisfying things is getting a modest or satisfactory result for a long period of work that you, you know, you don't hate that you can at least do if it's like in a field, if it's going for a run, if it's a good workout, whatever it might be, and then you see your results. And they're
0: good. It's like. That is very, very satisfying. I was thinking about this the other day. You know, I went outside because my my brother was out in the field and he was doing something. And, uh, you know, dinner was ready. So I was calling him in to come eat. But I was sitting out there and we had mowed the lawn that day. Mm. And, you know, he had rode around on the riding mower. I had gone around with the weed eater and and trimmed up the yard and stuff. I was thinking, I was like, you know, there's nothing more satisfying than a, a nicely mowed lawn you know seeing all that grass you know, basically a eating. job well done yeah, really not not all chaotic and you know weeds springing up everywhere but
1: uh, you brought order to a natural environment right. isn't that something like that that is what humanity is you know man manipulating the environment to suit his needs but also maintaining and caring for it as a steward of the environment
0: really. right like i think that man is a flawed but when at its best, it's a fundamentally good thing, and when it's and it's worse when it gives into chaos and uh, when it gives into it's just whatever it is. Do it if it makes you feel good. Do it. It. Mm-hmm. it it's.
1: That, that's what I talked about. about what, that's what I mean when I talk about like man pursuing the divine, not to be exactly like God or to become a god, but right. you know to be better, to strive right. for what like not to be. What god, is the thought vo-
0: to like that's the Christian thing it's like we don't want to be like we don't want to be Christ but we want to be like Christ because Christ is good Christ is something to uh, aspire to exactly you know it's different from in, in the biblical account of Lucifer where his goal is not to be like God but to be God to overtake God to be better than him and the Christian perspective is we'll never be as good as God or Christ but our because God, God is, is this perfect God. figure you right. can't so, achieve that so our go- our goal is not that but to be as close to that as we can to live the exactly life, to live the best life possible mm-hmm. and um i mean when you have a population that is committed to that you know you have your civilization and, and you don't have this overbearing force on top of them that stifles them in what they do, they can, they can achieve great things, you know, uh, they can, I think that's the story of the United States, you know, Mm -hmm. we were committed morally and we had proper principles and we became the, the most powerful nation to ever create. We went from a backwoods on the edge of the known world to, you know, the dominant power to ever be created by God or man, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, I think that's something impressive, something to aspire and hold up and to try and keep going forward and to keep that on top, you know? Absolutely. So, well, uh, Dean, I'm glad to have had you on the show. Uh, it has been very enlightening. It's been fun. I hope at some point we can have you back on, talk more yeah, about... Yeah, that'd be companies. great. Uh, mm mm-hmm. But I'm going to end it here. You can follow Dean on Twitter at uh, Monsieur Dean, which it's now a public Twitter site thanks to our good friend Elon. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter now. I'm there. I decided to join when the Funny Car Man bought Twitter. I'm at <laughs> Funny Car Man. <laughs> funny Car Man. I'm at uh, J 2004. You can follow me there. Uh, if you guys enjoyed this, please. Uh, Give us a review, follow us, share it with your friends, uh, and go check out Mr. Z's channel. He does some great content over there. Uh, And I hope you all, uh, you guys, have a nice day, and I will see you next episode.